Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bad Dog Book Club. This is episode three, part B. I guess that's episode six, right? Part B? Yeah. Where'd, the, well, where'd part A go? Part A is the reading. Oh, I thought it was just the story. Yeah, yeah. Part right. A is the reading. All so right. part B is the actual discussion. So I'm, the skip, one. I'm Skip Ruddertail. I'm Tunces. I'm the one that doesn't follow these things very well. Yeah, Skip's skip. the one that keeps these things in order. Yes. I just show up and talk when I'm told to. I'm the talent. All right, so... We're going to do something a little different today. Tunes has picked us a very short, you know, one-page reading selection to start the episode off with. So I'm going to let you uh, tell us what that's all about. Well, uh, in high school, I started this collection um, when my school library started to condense some books, and I was looking at all these books that they were throwing out, and I found that so, so many of them were just very badly titled. I figured, okay, I've got to start collecting these. One of my favorites were, like, UFOs, Serious Business. Mr. Kennedy and the Negroes, and cats and other people. There was all the things the librarians were pulling off the shelves because they were terrible and out of date. You were grabbing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all I right. Want, okay, yeah. I, can, I can appreciate. So that. I started this collection, and um, I was this is Amish country, Pennsylvania, by the way, which I think for some reason Amish country must provide a specifically potent source for these kinds of things because mm-hmm. we're we're stuck already about eighty years in the past. I mean, so what? We're like this is like new literature to us. Mm-hmm. This came out in like this book came out, I believe, in the nineteen seventies, and I found it in a dollar book bin at a credit union outside a steel mill. And it's called Help, I'm a Woman. This was published by Regular Baptist Press in nineteen seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. This is a self-help book for fundamentalist Baptist women who, you know, are unsure about their position beneath God and beneath men. This reminds me of a billboard that I used to drive past on my way to preschool every day that said, at the head of every woman is man, at the, every, at the head of every man is God. So I, these are the things that just kind of influence me when Most I'm growing up. The things that I notice. can't drive, so that's impressive, too. <laughs> I've always been a driving cat. Oh, okay. That's true. That's true. But, uh, I, so, uh, all right. So I, I, when I find these kind of books just around the area, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that these exist and that I can find them even though when you read them, they're completely absurd. So let me read this. This is from each chapter of this, by the way. Let me read some of these chapters here. Help, I've lost my name. Help, the budget won't balance. Help, my husband is unsaved. So this is the kind of fare you're looking for. This is from Help, I've lost my freedom. And I think a slave will be reading this. And Let's tell you a story, and then I want you to connect it. So. Let's hear Take it away. A few who are disillusioned with the race have become bitter and rebellious. Out of such feelings have arisen the women's liberation movement. In the book of Proverbs, we find some some warnings about discontented women. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is his rottenness in his bones. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Since women's lib is such an issue in our day, let us look at it more carefully. When we read God's plan for men and women as outlined in Genesis 2.24 and 3.16, we cannot help but say the goals of the women's liberation movement are anti-God. One woman has observed, women's livers are radicals who are waging a total assault on the family, on marriage, and on children. Surely this is contrary to God's plan. In reading a modern-day magazine, Ms., I found it to be pro-abortion and sickening in the use of four-letter words. It ridicules the old-fashioned girls who desire a home, a husband, and a family. Marriage is referred to as a prison and solitary confinement. Women's lib is falsely named. It is not liberation to find oneself standing on the same ground as a man. Equality with men is a terrible burden to bear, wrote Gladys Hunt. Do supporters of women's liberation really want to be free to go to war, to drive dump trucks, to shoulder the load of self-support, to lose their privacy in public restrooms? All this and more will eventually come from the women's liberation movement. How can all this possibly be called liberation? We will always find ourselves slaves to something. William Kunnell brings this out. The entire course of life is one of submission either to God or to self, to righteousness or to evil, to constituted authority or to anarchy. We need to die to self. When many of the women in our world learn that lesson, their sorrows will turn to songs. Women's liberation will devastate women. How naive for those freedom seekers to think that a piece of legislation will solve all their grief. 
To give women and men equal rights is, in reality, men's liberation. They will be the real winners. No more demands will be forced, upon, will be forced on them for family support or remaining faithful to one woman. They will be footloose and fancy free. Women will, fi- will still find themselves bearing children, but now alone. They will still be subjects. They will hold no special place of honor. Yes, the selfish, sensual man becomes the real winner, and unwanted children will be sentenced to die in some brightly lit, brightly lit operating room. Unloved. Aborted. Readers, dun, dun, dun. readers note, readers note, tense ellipses there yes. between yes, room, sir. unloved, aborted. But, but here's, no, here's, here's the good part. Part of, a woman's, well, part of a woman's plight is sorrow. However, having the right mate and being the right mate can turn sorrow to song and submission to sweetness. This is God's plan. Now, when I stuff like this tends to inspire me as a, a writer more so than like great <laughs> literature does, because I mean, great literature is just so done and complete. It's like you already see it on the wall, you already see it quoted in the books. Great, but when you see something like "part of a woman's plight is sorrow," and it's not some fantastical mm-hmm. quote you've ever read, it's right. just some some little painful little statement being made by a woman who's trying to write a self help book that probably just even trying to make sense of her own life. I mean, it takes on a bit more of a of, of, of a meaning to me. I just find stuff like that interesting. And then I see these themes expressed in and then I see these themes expressed in stories like the one we're reading now. Mm-hmm. So even though this is porn, mm-hmm. and it's it's like pulp from page one to page last. So I mean that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So even though it's pulp, you can find meaning in it if you can connect it to these, you know, more spe- uh, uh, these deeper things that you find in other places in your life. That's what I like about stories like the Zash Out Not Kill, which do you mm-hmm. wanna give us an introduction for, by the way? Well, I, I think, you know, it sounds like maybe you'd say that, you know, you could also title this book, Help, I'm a Companion. Yeah. And that'll Perfection take us Inc. into our, yes, published by Perfection Inc. Yes. In 2017. Uh, and I think that'll take us into our introduction to today's story, which is Thou Shalt Not Kill, written by Fuzz Wolf. And it first appeared in Sofa Wolf Press's Anthology X. And so our thanks... Again, to Sofwell for letting us publish this, and our thanks to Fuzz for subjecting yourself to this sort of critique. But we'll be I, good. And I always liked the, the theme for X, just the idea that you would write, you know, one story for each of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. It's cool because mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a natural way of generating interesting uh, prompts. Yes, yes. That still have a, a connecting theme to them. Yeah. I think it's cool. Neat theme. Well, and I was happy, you know, and this is just a personal. But I was happy to see Fuzz write again. So uh, thanks to Kyle Gold for. Telling Fuzz, okay, you got to write me something for this. So it's good <laughs> to see you back, buddy. All right, so where do you want to um, start us off, maybe? I mean, because we got a bunch of things going on. Well, we should probably start uh, with the fucking. Yeah. Because okay, there's that's a lot good. of fucking. Well, I, and, and that's something I eventually. do want to talk about, that it is not many stories... That have that this much fucking. I have to adjust my pants at one point. <laughs> we'll put it that way. I was what doing in the car when I was listening to it. And at another point, you know, dry my eyes. Aww. So I was going to say use Kleenex, but that might have negated or been the same as the first might one. Have been so confusing yes, images didn't want to confuse the audience. So there we go. Um, but yeah, why don't we? And you are the pulp writer here. Well, you know, um, I try. You are the porn expert. I'm a porn yeah, expert, a but you're a porn creator expert. And uh, so yeah, why don't you start us off with. Even though, well, even though you're pretty gay, I'm rather gay. See, that's why I was really impressed. I because I am as gay as a Mayday parade, but I was impressed by the fact that my favorite scene in this story wasn't even the ones involving two dongers, but just the one and then the giner. See, I mean, as I've oh, never as yes, I mean, yeah. that's my that's the vocab box that was on on my my ninth grade test. I think that I learned last from your health class back in Amish country. Abstinence only. Anyway. But I was impressed at the fact that, with the writing, for the fact that uh, the most intriguing scene wasn't even the one I was most uh, sexually supposed to be interested in. That was the one between Cyan and Slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, what was interesting, the, the dynamics here were... Um, how, well, actually, let, me, let me read a comment from somebody who I believe said it much better than I did. Alright, we got this comment from Funny Animal Books. He says... As smut, its crowning achievement was the sexual scene with Slave and Cyan. I was so interested in how both characters explored Slave as a kind of gender fuck, and how she specifically wanted him to strive for an orgasm like she had to do with other real men. 
They each share a sexual experience with this automaton that defies its base and shallow purpose. That, by the way, uh, whoever you are, funny animal books, and it's <laughs> whoever you it's are. Cube, tri- Cube Triangle on F.A., actually. Oh, he's, a, okay. he's a very talented right. artist. Well, Cube. He's actually um, one of those guys who's very talented in many different kinds of mm-hmm. art, so you should definitely check him out. Mm-hmm. Well, Cube, uh, I mean, I perfect use of the word gender fuck. Um, by the way, just speaking as a, a scholar of such things. So, no, I, I really, uh, that's the perfect use there because, you know, you guys have read or listened to the story or by now, and so you know that, um, that you know, it's not a conventional, you know, missionary guy-on-top sex scene. It really is it? isn't, no. Yeah. And I that's the kind of thing you have to do if you want to get somebody who is primarily disconnected from it, i.e. a gay man to identify with it and even enjoy it. If that's going to be your goal, if you want to be able to reach out to people like that, you need to be able to reform these ideas of gender mm. and character and just any concept you might be able to play with at all. You need to be able to have that play. Well, and what, what's a gender fuck here is, I think, uh, something that you noticed, too, when you read this story, was that, you know, slave is a male... A male-bodied uh, person with a, a male, Y. A male-bodied person, Spelled yes. with a Y. Yeah. And, but he is presented in such a way that he is a, a very feminized Yes, definitely male. very effeminate. Um, he wears panties. He wears jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, dangly, bangly jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wears skimpy outfits or cheerleader and, mm-hmm. and need things. And so... It's actually Richard's request that he wear only panties and a leather collar. Right. So there, there's one twist of, you know, conventional male gender. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then in the sex scene with Cyan, you know, she's a woman, but she is larger than him. She is, you know, definitely has a more powerful place than the society as a whole, which, mm-hmm. like it or not, does often get carried into the bedroom. And much more assertive and aggressive in the bedroom. And certainly. much more assertive and aggressive and, you know, actually ends up pegging him. At yes. one point, so literally fucks him with her cock, <laughs> and no, but I mean, Fuzz actually uses that phrase, you know, says yes. her her cock or her penis. I think I think it was her cock, um, and that's the exact way to do it. I mean, that was like spot on, perfect. You nailed the. There was a use of the words and phrases used really fit the encounter happening. Yes, it's intriguing, and it, as specifically, she says that he has to work for it, like she had to. Which is uh, an interesting way of putting it. He's he's the male, and generally the male in the in the sexual scene is supposed to be the one who doesn't have to work for it, who has to work for the other to get off. Mm-hmm. So it's to to flip that power dynamic is uh, a good way to get someone like me, who otherwise wouldn't be uh, intrigued by it, to get to connect with it right away. I think it's just very impressive for a, a porn writer to be able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 you know, I think it's and and you know, a porn writer like. Buzz. And a lot of us who are, you know, gay or straight, you know, ha- it's it's a challenge to write to, uh, you know, write a sex scene that will appeal not only to yourself, mm-hmm. but to people who have other sexual orientations. Yeah. And that's not an easy feat to accomplish. And I think he did it in a pretty c- clever way. I'm not straight. I mean, I'm bi-leaning gay, definitely. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I was like, well, this is hot. You know, and I do read straight sex stories, um, you know, reasonably often on So Furry. And, but it worked for me. I think I had that blocked on So Furry. <laughs> if the, the letter S if it out. shows up. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it has to it, it has to work to get through, but you know, when it gets through to me, I can uh, enjoy it sometimes. Is- you say you're, you're, you're gay leading on bi, I'm Gay leaning on denying the existence of women. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned filters because I was talking to somebody yesterday who who didn't read your latest story because they have bull filtered out. Bull? Why bull? They don't like things. bulls. Yeah. So there you go. So I, I don't filter anything. I'm an equal opportunity kind of guy. I'll read any. You know, well, I'll, I'll take like a look meat. at any crazy thing. So, um, but you know what? You do know what they say about red meat and how it affects the taste of your cum. So maybe that's why they don't like bulls. Maybe. So how does... But going on the sex scene thing, um, you know, it's it's probably... it's It seems to be the most elaborate, uh, elaborately laid out, and probably takes up the most actual amount of words of any sex scene mm-hmm. in the book. 
Yes. Um, it's the most complete in terms of start to finish all the way through and all the kind of phases yes. of the sex. And it's how a, does it compare to the other sex scenes? Well, it's a tremendous contrast to the the first sex scene in the mm-hmm. second chapter where uh, slave or unit JVCS three three one six one three four two. I don't know something like that. I forget when slave is first arrived and is being set up and the whole process of. Uh, establishing the order here that Richard wants. He's setting up uh, the settings he needs. It's wholly different from what you might expect from any other kind of story that might be expressing the same, uh, exploring the same themes of dominance and submission. For a, a lot of people, whenever they're wanting to explore uh, these dominant themes, there needs to be a sense of competition. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a sense of friction and... Uh, a heat, like they say, like friction co- friction causes heat. They say that's what people want when when they get the, there's BDSM involved, and they want mm. there to be resistance. They want there to be moaning, and they want there to What's, be gritting of teeth. Often, part of the thrill of it is is gaining. You know, is the mental struggle and, yeah. and sometimes physical, but to gain the advantage. You know, to be. You know, to gain dominance. Yeah, I do think uh-huh. that's another one of those tags on so far is like competition dom- over over dominance or something like but it's um different completely in this setup scene because when uh when the jaguar arrives and he's not even a slave yet he is simply presented like as a, as a gift essentially by the uh, mail carrier he's just staring straight out ahead blank turns him on and he he, he asks for his first order it's um just the, the very nature of it is already naturally inclined it's to submission by fiat even if yeah, even if Richard had wanted to uh, be a submissive slut and have the jaguar, you know, rape him to the end of the end of the day or something like that, it still would have had to start with the sort the sort of kind of passive submissive kind of waiting for orders mm-hmm. kind of motif. Uh, but it continues on then as he just cont- as he tells him uh, what it, what his name's going to be, what he wants, and even the uh, the response that it causes is kind of very mechanical. Uh, just kind of slowly causes Richard to become aroused, which is then dealt with almost like if the TV started to go fuzzy, you'd get up and hit it. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like a casual kind of, oh, here's something that has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And so he gets them off. Mm-hmm. Now, that's strange. it's strange because in, in most cases, you this would not be a good way to write a pulp story. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's very dry, and it doesn't engage you very much. It's very easy to kind of skip past it and read it only as if you're trying to glean the information. And when you're reading pulp, you don't want to just get the information. You want the imagery. You want the sensations. You want the emotion of it. But it works well in this story because it's not going to be the only sex we get right. in here. So it's not that's the only payoff. Mm-hmm. It's uh, kind of sets it sets um, a I don't want to say a low bar because that sounds uh, diminishing. But it kind of sensitizes the body or desensitizes the body so that the next the next scene will be a bit more colorful. By comparison. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a good, you know, it's it's that classic, you know, roller coaster profile of a, a story. You know, mm-hmm. is that the intensity builds, or in most stories, over time. And this story you know, does as they, follow as they reach a climax. Yeah, it follows a different profile than you might from uh, most pornographic stories, which follow deliberately a very steep, like one steep climb, right. to then a a downfall because mm-hmm. that's more or less how people jerk off and that's kind of what you're trying to simulate mm-hmm. but this is written more like uh, an actual piece of prose where it's kind of like right. a falling and rising action building to maybe a, yeah. an eventual and this is, I mean this in, in form this is much more like a, a short novel um, you know or a novella I guess chapters. kind of condensed around yeah, yeah part, he even he actually right he even the frame does is chapters really cool. I like the frame that the, the construction of the story is more like a novel than a typical short story um Here's one of the things about the sex scenes, though, is I wonder how many other people, and I'm going to just out myself here, you know, read that, read these sex scenes with Richard and Slave, and feel a little guilty, uh, almost, as I did. Well, they because always Because at do. parts of it... But that's why you need those things. Hang on, hang on, let me finish. All right, but Partially I'm going to tell you later. because I'm thinking, boy... That'd be kind of nice. From which perspective? From Richard's perspective. Of course, from Richard's perspective. That's what it's supposed that's, to be that's, nice from. Because I'm, I'm an otter, you know. I'm, I'm a top otter. So, yes, that, that's my 
um, perspective is that I'm sitting around like, you know, boy, I could, you know, wake up every morning with a blowjob. And that makes you feel guilty. Why? Isn't, isn't, <laughs> isn't the Jaguar supposed to like it? I feel, well, I think that's, you know, what we get into as the story progresses is that, um, yes, it, it's, it's this fantastic hedonistic experience. And Tootsis and I both fondly recall hedonism bought from Futurama in this situation. But, it, I mean, it is absolutely every desire he could have. And the question, I think, that is gradually raised you know, during the story, and definitely by the end is, is that, and and maybe isn't resolved, and I think for some readers it may not be resolved, um, is that a relationship when you have every desire you have met by the person you're with? Well, within the context of the story, what I had trouble identifying with sometimes was uh, the, pulp scene, the pulp scenes aside, which were very well written, I had a little bit more trouble getting into the emotional aspect of the story mm-hmm. because I just don't see very much in the relationship when it's just purely sexual. That might be more of a personal thing, though, because I, I, I'm not a very... I, surpri- I No one's going to believe this. Everyone's going to be dismissing this right now, but I'm not a very highly sexual person in my personal life. Yeah. So for me, relationships are, are about other things. So at, by the end of the story, when uh, Slave and Richard have developed this very intimate relationship and all I've seen them done is just fuck constantly... It's, I can't quite in, uh, connect with that. I feel like in a logical sense, I could surely work out that they, maybe they developed some kind of relationship on a non-sexual level within that, within that time that just wasn't covered in the story. Fine, I can follow that. Or I can also just follow, also follow that other people, other people can establish these connections on a purely sexual basis, and it's perfectly valid for them, and I shouldn't be distraught just because the story appeals more to them than me. Mm-hmm. But it still discolors my view of it well, i've got i've got some ideas on that and let's let's maybe move to this kind of area and tease out uh some of these questions about the relationships in the story mm-hmm. um and because we've got we've got i think three main characters here we've got two important relationships going on Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to say three if you count. I don't know if you can count one as sex scenes as a relationship. I don't think no. so. We're going to say two main relationships going on here, and that's between Richard, our lion protagonist, and Cyan, the lioness, as Alex says, <laughs> which I love. I- I've got to say this. I-, I was watching something on BBC, too, and it was like, Americans will say, oh, what's that? It's a lioness. You know, and, and a European will be like, it's a lioness. <laughs> It's like the so it's new 1953 Dodge Lioness <laughs> with chrome. Oh my god! So Alex, I think there's so much better. They have so much more banning so than we do. So hot. Anyway, yes, the, the Lioness. I don't dig it. Um, <laughs> Go back across the pond. You don't tip. <laughs> yes, the Lioness, and uh, then the relationship between Richard and Slave. Which I had to say, as as a writer, as an aside, I thought it was kind of cool. That slave, slave's name is never capitalized. Oh yeah, that is neat. Did you notice that? that yeah, I, I expected you would, but I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of a neat thing. Anyway, because it's diminishing. So we got these relationships, and the first one we see is or hear about, you know, is Richard and Cyan. Mm-hmm. And Cyan is Richard's boss. They both work at the same company. We don't know exactly what they do. They're obviously white-collar people. Professionals. Um, they're obviously, right, professionals. She sounds like probably a president, and he's a vice president, or something like that. You know, she's a vice president, and he's a director. You know, something right underneath her. Mm-hmm. But um, bum And... <laughs> well, no, that is what she wanted at the beginning of the that story. That is what she wants, yeah. You know, and there is... Their relationship is interesting, and it's strange for this kind of story because there is no intimacy in it. Or almost none. I That's think. fine. Cool. Good for them. Yeah, it's a very it's a very professional uh, official relationship. Right. This and is I the kind of relationship that, these people have. That's one of the have. keys. That's why I think it's here because this is how this is Richard's world. I think is that he there is no distinction in his life, at least at the start of the story between the professional. You know, between a professional relationship and a personal relationship or an emotional relationship. 
I, that he that they're both treated the same way. It's both goes into a situation and says, "What can I get out of this?" Mm-hmm. You know, and and she's doing the same thing. Um, you know, also making very little distinction here. You know, how can how will he help my image? How will he help my career? You know, what can I get out of this? And and that's kind of how the world works for him. That's the person he is. Mm-hmm. That there is no distinction between everything is handled in this kind of professional business like way, even if it's you know fucking someone. It's not how he handles slaves. So he, he sees slave as a, an escape from this. Yeah, I think that's what starts. Ha- well, partially in part of the way he does handle slave exactly the same way because immediately, well, as begin, you said, it's how can I get you know what can I get out of this? What can this do? For very me? quickly de- Incre- develops very, past that after two Richard weeks of is, constant fucking. It's interesting because he's incredibly self-centered and oblivious, um, and that is a connection I think between our our first story. That's one of the connections here. Um, you know, if we remember. Uh, came Hirosaki's story, and we had also an incredibly self-interested, oblivious protagonist, and also an with a with a created fur, mm-hmm. yes, an automaton. Um, but you know, here a faux it, fur, a faux, oh god, a faux fur, yes. But here, you know, Richard's not—he's not a bad guy, and he's not a malicious guy. He's just um, not a romantic. He's just really self-absorbed. And, you know, that's how he goes into this relationship with Slade. Well, people wonder why guys aren't romantic. Mm -hmm. People wonder why guys aren't, you know, don't see the magic in going out on, like, a nice candlelit date or, you know, just going out for a movie. Mm -hmm. But Richard became plenty romantic once he got to have sex for two weeks straight. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, Yeah, once once he got that, he was all all about feeling total emotions for Mm -hmm. other people and, you know, feeling his, uh, Mm -hmm. his emotions. But what I liked about the story was that uh, Cyan tells him this, and it's almost as if Richard completely ignores it. Yeah, and it also plays into the theme of whether you of of what slave is and what do you buy him as, whether it's a, an automaton or a consciousness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she says he's not real. He's not a person. I'm a person. Yep. So he, he his and romance. Then she says, and then she says, "But you don't see it like that, do you, Richard?" You yeah, know, and and he, I don't think it had occurred to him even particularly that he hadn't seen it like that until and she said it. What I think the story is trying to do, and what I think ultimately Foswolf is trying to get you to buy, is that slave is a person and Cyan isn't a person for all her blood Ooh, and I don't all know her about blood that. and bone and her her single minded directness toward her mm-hmm. career is robbing her of her humanity while slaves single-mindedness, uh, giving up of himself to Richard mm-hmm. kind of creates this humanity. Okay, I think I ultimately, see that. I I think see ultimately that that's what Fuzzwolf wants you to get. Because that means for most of the story, Richard isn't a person either. Mm-hmm. And, and by that logic. And I will buy that. Because I think... Well, he's, the dy- think, he's a dynamic character here. I think that, yeah, but I'd say, you know, by that criteria for most of the story, since he's entirely self-interested, um, he's not really a person either. And may I think maybe for him it might be about becoming maybe a person. That's what this story is about, and I think that's the unit because you and I were talking, and you know we were trying to figure out you know what what's the story chiefly about, or is there some kind of unifying factor? Because we've got we know it is structured in this way that there are definite sections of the story, mm-hmm. um, and you know we have different kind of moments and interludes and encounters and how is that tied together and and my feeling is this is the story is about richard becoming a person yeah and you know this is all about him and and maybe that's what is my and for me the key paragraph i guess i'll say is if i may just read for a moment is this is when uh Richard and Cyan have been having dinner at the very nice restaurant, and Richard suddenly gets a call. He pulled his phone out of his pocket and looked at the screen to see who was calling. It said home. He looked at it quizzically. Slave never called him. He'd been designed to be very self-reliant, so he would always be an asset to him rather than someone he'd have to take care of. For me, that is the key line in the story, and that's Mm -hmm. the line that ties it all together, because that... I think that is the boundary um, of when you cross into a relationship that 
they are responsible for taking care of you and you are responsible for taking care of them. And that's kind of what Richard suddenly realizes that, you know, this is a person that he feels just as deeply about taking care of um, as, as, you know, slave has been taking care of him. Yes. So for you, you think that for you, the story is about uh, how, how Richard becomes a person. Mm-hmm. I think the story is about getting off personally. I, I, I like, I, I still appreciate this story mostly for the sex scenes. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought they were very well written, mm-hmm. uh, but I do. I, I kind of think that the overlying frame. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it was about that about much. It was just an interesting exploration of these concepts of uh, submission and dominance and mm-hmm. expectations and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's well. I think one of the issues that you might have with this story is that there are the you're very you're a good Marxist kind of thinker. Oh no, and no, I am too. That, no, I am too. I mean, that's my background. It's more like a young angry. Is, is is okay? Well, my background in anthropology is Marxist anthropology, which means I'm always looking at class and race and gender and all these and how these things interrelate in power. Um, and there are a lot of little little hints in here. You know, or little kind of asides of all these things of, you know, class and power and race playing out. Um, and and I think, I mean, for instance, you know, we know there is a Free the Companions movement yes, going yes. on. And yet that really isn't addressed. Yeah, and I would, I would say, like I would that say that's more. Yeah. Why, why would you like to see it? Addressed? Well, I think it would have been a nice compliment to if, if a part if. Part of what you're going for in the story here is addressing the a possibility that maybe Cyan isn't as much of a person as Slave is. A good way to, to, to foil that would have been talking about this uh, companion freedom movement, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it gets an official name in the story. It, it, it feels kind of like it got tacked on a little bit. I would have liked to see that drawn out. I think it would have been interesting to see exactly what kind of arguments they were using, just what kind of uh, former companions were and what they said of their experiences, that's what I would have liked to have seen. And, and I, would, I would counter that by saying that, um, you know, the story isn't about this. You know, the story is about Richard. It's not about the wider world, which seems a little weird. But the wider world is only a concern because this is so, told so strongly from Richard's point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically narrating the story. It's so from his point of view. Yes. Um, that the wider world is only a concern when it intrudes into his own world. I see what you mean. So even though it might be this large movement outside of his world, within mm-hmm. the context of himself and the story. In the context of it, because, and partially because for most of the story, he is so self-absorbed and self-centered, you know, and kind of meeting his needs, that he really isn't concerned about, you know, what else is happening, and mm-hmm. unless, and until and unless it directly infects his own life. I know uh, one of those other, I'm sure, kind of Marxist framework things that would have jumped out at you and, and obviously ties directly back into our introductory reading <laughs> yeah. um, is, I think, a notion of ideological constructs in, in, in that mm, yeah. you know, slave kind of, I mean, it, it's more sexual, obviously, than the '50s housewife was supposed to be, mm-hmm. um, but kind of, kind of a '50s housewife, I think. That's I, th- I thought that was very much the idea, and as a contrast, Cyan represents this more modern uh, archetype of what fe- uh, feminine expression is supposed to be, where she's this career conscious woman. When really, uh, these days, a lot of women do uh, work as homemakers. It's called being unemployed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should have had more job if you want to have, you know, career-conscious woman, I guess. Sorry, America. Get a better economy. Then you can have real quality. Well, and, and if I can add another layer to this, um, what does it say then when a gay man wants a 50s housewife? Who is also another man. Right. I th- I, that it kind does... of adds this whole other kind of per- gender kind of permutation to it. What people, if, do, people do. If accuse... you're living to what is a very heterosexual, heteronormative, and, and even borderline misogynist ideology, but in the context of a gay relationship. But don't we all just want to assimilate, really? 
<laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to just get married. I don't want to get married. I want to have a marriage license I can date back to 1942. Mm. That's what I want. I don't want, look, it's not just, I don't want to call it a civil union. I want you to put me in a time machine and just pretend it happened back then. So then I can tell my, my, my boyfriend to go make me a goddamn sandwich. That's <laughs> all I've ever really wanted. And a martini. Yeah. But that, no, that's what people say. That's what, that's one of the, the critiques of uh, gay thought is that it's mm-hmm. definitely privileges uh, men and that mm-hmm. men, men, and you see these, um, it reminds me of one of my favorite bits of gay revolutionary literature where they said that. Uh, they would invite the women's liberation movement because they could bring uh, muffins. Ah, it's so offensive. It's like, I know, right? But it's like, of, it makes sense. I mean, like, yeah, sure, gay people are oppressed, whatever, but they're still guys. They yeah. still they, they still have the, these sexist thoughts. And it kind of comes through in these. But it's, it can be also kind of cathartic. Well, I, I mean, look, you and I... It's one of the things that we wrestle with, you know, spe- you and I, particularly as white males who mm-hmm. also happen to be gay... You okay, know, is it, that is one of the, of the things. Show. Well, no, I mean it's it's one of the things that you know we and Fuzz is also. I'll just disclose is a white male who happens to be gay. You know, it is one of the things that you know sometimes we find ourselves you know wanting this kind of thing and then wondering you know why do I want this and should I want this and what does that say about me? Um, you know, con- being conscious of you know the privileges we have as white males. Mm-hmm. I think it's so more I think cathartic. It's a, I, think it's a I don't nice think kind of look at that necessarily represents questions. a desire to actually have something like mm-hmm. that. It's a cathartic release sometimes to see because uh, in, in in the context it can sometimes be so absurd mm-hmm. just to think okay yeah it's a story where we're talking about like 1950s archetypes of uh, feminine ideals being projected onto gay identity, but then also it's a story about robot animals fucking each other. It's absurd, uh-huh. and I think the absurdity of is what makes it cathartic. It's like we can only make these constructs right. work in our head if we can put them to such a, a, a obtuse, mm-hmm. wonked out terms that like it's completely already divorced from, from what yeah. reality is. Well, that's that's always been one of the you know, uh, I think strengths of good sci-fi um, is that you know it sometimes lets us look at these issues that are really upsetting or really troubling mm-hmm. in our own lives from a distance. Um, and I don't, this, this isn't the point of that story, but it's a little, it's a little, I think it's a piece of it that well, enters into it. People always say that a, a good, a hallmark of good literature is having it being, being able to internalize something mm-hmm. in you. But I also think it's useful to be able to externalize mm-hmm. something from you. If you can get a, a good piece of literature that can absolutely uh, kind of remove this, uh, pressure from mm-hmm. you. It's just as valid as being a, as reading something that might be able to make you feel some other kind of emotion. Right, right. Well, and it, it does that's what good porn's supposed to be. Right, it's supposed to take the pressure off. Now that I've been on this kick of, of race and, and gender and stuff, I want to take it onto this little thing of the species choice because that isn't something we've really talked about much oh, yet. Geez. But I think I it's something it. that we might start. Some, and, and I've talked with some authors who are like, oh yeah, I don't care. I mean, I have like the wheel. I'm lost. You know, or whatever, you know, whatever animal I'm thinking of, like that's who's going to be in my story. And some authors make a very conscious choice that these are the species I'm picking. And even mm-hmm. if they don't say it, but they have deep reasons. And I think that might be the case here. What, what got, cause do you think it is? Richard and Cyan are lions. They're African lions. Right. And, you know, they're, they're king of the beasts, mm-hmm. you know, and both of them really kind of are, are working to embody that role. The alpha um, types, you mean? Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, a, they're apex predators, which means they are the highest in the food chain, you know, oh, in real wow. life. Uh, so in their area, in their niche, you know, they're, they're number one and they're, they're both trying to be that. And Richard and Cyan, their relationship is so dominated by this, con- by these struggles. And, and one gets the feeling that their sex life is every time they meet up, there's a struggle to see who's going to be in charge tonight. Mm-hmm. And so both of them are really trying to kind of live up to this expectation, you know, and, and fight their way there. And I think that's part of why Richard he goes for this odd thing of where he's still king, but now he, he's a king that he doesn't have to fight to be so. Yeah. And that, that's key if you look at real-life lions, hubris. too, though, because real-life lions, like, if a male gains control of it, the males will fight, he will fight to gain control of a pride of lionesses. He'll probably, you know, 
control the pride, you know, be the male who breeds with them for, you know, two, three years. And at that point, a younger male or a coalition of males will come along and either chase or kill him off. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a position he constantly has to fight to enforce and ensure. And so I think there's yeah. a little parallel here where, you know, this is probably the dream of every lion out on the African veldt is, can I keep my harem without having to fight for it all the time? Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of a neat little connection. And what, jaguars, and the jaguar? you know, it's a, well, it's another cat. Okay, but well, okay, jaguar okay, no, is no, another no, cat. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Yeah. Can you do can you do jaguar in the English accent? Jaguar, jaguar. Yeah, you kind of oh gotta, you gotta like bring out the U and almost remove the R totally. So, jaguar. So of a jaguar, you know, like we say it in the U.S., like it's like G or it's J A G W A R. You know, in the U.S. In English, it's like jaguar. American number one. Though, that's the uh, correct way to say it. I guess it's J A G U A H. You know, <laughs> I always drag my jaguar. My jaguar. Anyway. Moving on, I mean, Jaguar is another big cat, but a smaller big cat, you know, and... Is that that beta male thing going on? Well, just, or, you know, like, it, it's, you know, it's familiar, but it's different, you know, and it's it's familiar, it's familiar enough to be comforting to me to be another cat, but to not be another lion who might be a rival. Correct. Well, Cyan, I believe, is the rival in this. Oh, yeah. Correct. Cyan is definitely the rival. Uh, do we want to read a couple letters we got from people? Oh, we actually sure. got letters this time. Yeah. So well, I'm gonna. I, were, how many of them were mean? They were. They were good. They were good. Oh, everybody. Okay. Everybody that's really good. liked the story. Um, we had you know people brought up some issues with it and and you know or things they wanted to ask about. I'm gonna read one from Candrel and then I think you've got one from Drakir, right? Sure. All right. So Candrel uh, writes. Hiya, naughty canines. So, and I will just, you know, straight off the bat that Toonces is a cat. A driving cat. A driving cat. And I am an otter. And neither of us are canines. Even and though we work for bad dog books. Either. Our producer is a canine. But anyway. And no raccoons here. Next time, Candrel, fix that. Before I begin, I have to ask, what is it with you two and your emo simulacrums porn? I just, just like it says in the stories, it's not healthy. It's not natural. Yes, we, we did have a little thing here. So we came here in Saki. We also had a, a created first. So, and actually, I had another submission from an author, which also had a created first. So we're going to have to wait several months for that one. So we don't become the podcast yep. about Sorry, everybody. created, manufactured like furs. But yes. We'll take a little break. We burnt that pharmacy down. Yes. Okay, though I guess I have to admit, Thou Shalt Not Kill is hot. The pervasive sexuality of the two main characters really sets a tone for the story that it carries throughout. Even though the end left me with a bit of a sniffle, I call any man heartless who was unaffected by it. I'm raising my hand. (laughs) It wasn't a story about the death. While Slave's death was the highlight and closing note for the story, it struck me as much more a story about the celebration of life. It's a story about one slave choosing to live through months of malfunction to bring happiness to the one he loves. So tell me your opinion on this quandary. I believe every story has a range of emotions that it evokes in the reader at a different inter- at different intervals after having read the story. What were the order of yours after finishing Thou Shalt Not Kill? For me, after the initial sadness of the downbeat ending faded, the aftertaste wasn't so much bitter as bittersweet. In essence, I might call it a sad story that leaves you happy, at least that is, eventually. Looking forward to your deconstruction, Candrel. Alright, so yeah, if we can, I want to talk about the end of the story for a minute, because I think it, this really speaks to that. Because um, I think the ending's very interesting, because it's, for me at least, it wasn't so much an ending. If, if it is a story about Richard and the Slave... It's the end. If it is instead a story about Richard becoming a person, you know, because he learned, you know, he starts caring about other people and things around him, then it's the beginning of the, of, of his story. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is all leading up to, you know, we don't know what happens next. I mean, the ending, by the way, I love the ending, Fuzz. You know, he pressed the button. It's got <laughs> wrenching. <laughs> Perfect. Um, there you go. But... You know, at, we don't know what happens the next day, but you can kind of start seeing, you know, or, or the things that I definitely hope, you know, start happening to Richard the next day. And I think that 
you know, you can look at this and say, you know, did they love each other? Or, you know, could they love each other? And I think, you know, you might have a question about that. I don't think, and, and that's the tragic aspect of this story, is that they were at the beginning of what could have been a relationship when Slave dies. I think they're, you know, they're starting to understand, you know, Richard's understanding that this is a two-way street um, and that it's about not just me, it's about us. And that's unfortunately, yeah, you know, that's where... unfortunately when Slave dies, um, that could be the start of a relationship. And I, I've been, you know, there. it is true. So, you know, sometimes you can say, you know, there's this person I met, you know, six months ago, which is, you know, what this is or so. Um, and say, I love them, that's going to be a very different... What you mean when you say you love this person that you've been dating for six months is very different than what you say when you say, I love this person that I've been with for 12 years or 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it was, you know, it's not... We don't know, you know, and I think we don't know if, you know, maybe it wouldn't have worked out if Slave had lived. Maybe... You know, they couldn't have gone on together because of how the nature of their relationship had been. We don't know. And that's kind of the tragedy of it, that I think this was right at the beginning of Richard being a person, right at the beginning of a relationship is when our story ends. Um, and, And so it's very tragic in that way. But it is, if we do see it as the beginning for Richard, it's a very hopeful story in that way. So I do follow your point there. I think maybe I saw a different aspect of it making it hopeful for me, um, but I, I do kind of agree with you, Kandrel. Did you have anything to... Well, I said earlier, it, the, the ending just didn't quite resonate with me, because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like there's a certain disconnect between um, what constitutes Richard's and Slay's relationship and what I would typically look for in a relationship, so it didn't have quite the emotional weight to me, but I, it was still a, a great story. I don't think you need a, a whiz-bang emotional ending to an, enjoy the story. And a lot of other people did connect with it, so good times. And we have uh, another story, and which Juice is going to read to us. Uh, usually other people express these things uh, better than I can. So We got uh, this comment from Drakir on the blog. He said, The lion purchased the jaguar as a pet and named him Slave. Throughout the story, he treats Slave as a possession. There are points where he seems to put more thought into Slave's life, but at the same point, they are fairly superficial. What does he do while I'm at work? Well, I've had the same thoughts about my cat. He thinks about buying Slave clothes so he can take him out and show him off since Slave would enjoy that, but that is just his conjecture. He never asks Slave about this, and Slave never expresses that desire. It is his own gratification he is seeking. We are told the Jaguar's mental programming is breaking down, but the Jaguar didn't notice. The entire time, the Jaguar continued to be his slave, doing whatever he could to please his master. So while we are told that he has become more than a pet or pet or a possession, he didn't grow beyond what he was designed for. So did he, in fact, have his own personality? Was he more than a pet? Mm-hmm. And I think these are valid questions to ask. And not every question needs to be answered for a story to be good. So you want to you know, temper your criticism. But for, for people like me, we might have wanted to see something like this addressed. Uh, it might have connected this to uh, a little bit better. But at the same time, having addressed our needs you might have turned off some other people that did like the story so you know that's that's how i I was i I honestly really agree with what he says but i think that's you know that is richard for most of the story is that yeah this is a pet you know who also he happens to have sex with and who makes dinner for him um and and that yeah for much of the story he doesn't you know see him as much more than that um so yeah I, i really agree with rick here i i think that but then it gets. So I think the it's end. nice for you. It's nice for you to see Richard grow. While mm-hmm. some of us don't care if Richard grows or not, uh-huh, uh-huh. we we couldn't care less. It'd be like seeing. Uh, but that's what the story is about. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I know, the story know, is if Richard is, doesn't grow, the story isn't sometimes. about anything. <laughs> Does it have to be about anything? I mean, I think so. Oh, the story so. doesn't have to be about anything. Okay, okay. it could be just about fucking, and that's really what we're all here for, isn't it? All right, the fucking. All right. The last question, I, I think. I spoke to a little bit about with the last letter, you know, is this love, um, you know, can he, can he express this or is he going haywire or what does that mean if he is? And I think that's, it's a good question. Um, and I'm not sure the story definitively answers that. I think you can, 
um, ask that question, you know, was this just going haywire? What's happening here? Or is he still responding to programming? And we can't really be sure. Um, the point, again, is since this is so from Richard's point of view, is Richard believes him. And Richard believes it was real. And that's what's going to change Richard, assuming he changes. So that'd be my take on that. But I am a romantic. Why don't you just change continents? <laughs> Jaguar. Jaguar. Do you think that's how Richard pronounced it? Jaguar. Yes, no. I'd, I'd like one perfect just Jaguar, down please. in Texas, I'd be like, I got one of them Jaguars. He probably thought he was ordering a car, and then, what the hell is this thing? Oh, I guess I'll just fuck it. Uh, I don't know, we have anything else that we... Uh, haven't gotten to that we wanted to bring up today i think i had a pretty good discussion here again i i really enjoyed the story i loved everything about it and even though i'm like sitting here driving down i-95 adjusting my pants (laughs) well that's terrible and i had nothing to do with alex's voice i swear i swear all right uh next week's story is uh one i picked out and actually, I got I got a couple. Uh, next one's the one I picked out. It's by White Yote, uh, or if you're so inclined, White Yote. You know, people say some people say Coyote, some people say Coyote. <laughs> and it is called One Week, and it's a it's a shorter one. Um, it's again a very personal one, and it's a little heavy. Just to warn you, I think you'll enjoy it though. And the following week, we've already got the following story lined up. And that one's that one's much lighter and happier so i think we'll all we'll get out of this all right you know, this get out of good the winter stuff, doldrums. but yeah we got to get out of the winter doldrums. Come on, spring, so the flowers gonna be blooming we're getting springy and then uh, i think tunes is working on he's finding us a story that'll be for the first one in april so we're, we're mm-hmm. moving along fast here all right stay tuned uh next week and well this has been another episode this is episode 3b of the Bad Dog Book Club with Indeed. Skip Ruddertail. And Toons is the driving cat, the cat that could drive a car who isn't a raccoon. Yes. <laughs> and our producer has been Alex Vance. So take care and see you next week. Ciao.